Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Uh, Good morning, everyone, and um, great to be with you. I'm Michael, lead pastor here at Salt. If I haven't met you, great uh, that you're with us. If you're new, uh, welcome to Salt. Um, Great to be back from holidays. Uh, We had an enjoyable time. Hopefully, you all look a lot more refreshed than I last saw you a couple of weeks ago. January's that time of the year, isn't it, when everyone's just a little bit happier? This is just my imagination. A bit more love going around, a bit more relaxation. Hopefully that's been the case for you. I know that's not the case for everyone. Some people have been working, um, some people are going through difficult times. But I'm really excited to be here, January, New Year, making disciples at Salt uh, for another year. Uh, And I want to encourage you, uh, in two weeks' time, come along, come along every Sunday, but be here in two Sundays' time, Vision Sunday, we're going to talk about what is the vision for Salt and how does that play out uh, in 2023. Uh, I'm going to talk about things like what are our plans for a new home for salt? We've been talking into that last year. Uh, what does that mean for us this year and a whole lot of other things as well? So come along in two weeks' time. I'm going to pray for us uh, as we come to this topic. Let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, thank you for holidays, for rest, for work, uh, for this time to gather to hear your word, uh, to honour you as the Lord of all. Father, thank you that when you speak, you always speak true and right and correct words, words that are useful to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, to train us. Uh, Father, help me this morning to be faithful, help me to be clear, help me to honour Jesus as we look look at the Bible together. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to the topic of the environment this morning, and I do wonder whether I've bitten off too much, uh, more than I can chew. It's a massive topic, isn't it? And um, I'm going to say up front, um, make sure you put your questions in today. Um, If you've got thoughts, questions, and I haven't covered them, um, that's what the connection cards are for. Uh, We'll get back to you. There's lots of things that I won't cover this morning. But gee, isn't there a lot of voices in this space speaking to us about the environment? Uh, it's a huge topic, it's a, a very relevant, contemporary topic, um, and there's a lot of confusion about this topic as well, isn't there? Uh, I've got to admit, there are times when I've felt quite confused, uh, as I've thought about just one element, climate change. Incredibly complex, yeah? Uh, I've tried to do some reading around it, I've realised that scientists have very different views on it. Uh, people disagree on it, it's not simple. Uh, But it's something to grapple with. Uh, The solutions to environmental damage are not simple, are they? Uh, I was looking in my kitchen this week, Uh, on our kitchen bench is the Fogo bin. Everyone got the Fogo bin? All the scraps go in the Fogo bin. Uh, I love the Fogo bin. I think that's doing great work for the environment. Um, I'm still hoping, though, that the council's thought about the truck arrives now every week to collect this waste. I'm I'm just a little bit confused. I'm wondering, how does this work out? Um, I've got a friend who drives a really old car from the 1960s. And he does it for the sake of the environment. 
As he pulls away, though, there's smoke that pours out the back. And I think to myself, is an electric car better than that? Uh, electric car doesn't rely on the fossil... Well, it does rely on the fossil fuels. Uh, the electric car takes resources. It's made in a factory. It uses resources. It has a footprint on the environment. It's complicated, isn't it? It's not simple. Uh, maybe you're someone who's a little bit fearful. You think, wow, the way they're talking about environmental damage, it's like a catastrophe's coming. Will our kids be able to enjoy the world like we have? Or maybe you're a little bit sceptical. Um, some of the things that are to, put to us as green, are they really green? When I put my, my recycling in the recycling bin, does it actually get recycled? I'm hoping it does. And there's a whole spectrum of beliefs and practices, isn't there? How would you describe yourself? Are you someone who you say, I want to be green, I want to look after the environment? How much do you care? How far do you go? Uh, when you pay a bill or when you uh, take a flight, do you offset the bill, the resources, the energy you use as, a, as part of your carbon footprint? Um, or are you like a friend of mine who refuses to fly at all. He says it's just environmentally irresponsible. There's two ends of the spectrum. Isn't there? On one end of the spectrum, there's people that don't seem to care at all. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, there are people who say, this is the most serious issue facing us in the world. Uh, you might remember 10 years ago, the former Prime Minister, Kevin Rudd, said these words... Climate change is the great moral, environmental and economic challenge of our age. Uh, or more recently, Greta uh, Thunberg she says, solving the climate crisis is the greatest and most complex challenge that Homo sapiens have ever faced. She goes on to say, I've promised myself that I'm going to do everything I can for as long as I can. And listen to this quote. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day. And then I want you to act. It's very clear, isn't it? Their view, this is the most important thing in the world. Uh, I remember when I was at uni, I did civil engineering. I did civil engineering in the early 90s. I think the whole concerns about the environment, being responsible, being responsible as an engineer... We're just starting to take off. Uh, we had a lecturer called Ted Trainer, University of New South Wales. Uh, there's a picture of him. There's a picture of him in his home in southwestern Sydney on the banks of the Georges River. In the early 90s, he was incredibly radical. Uh, he had some extreme views, uh, some of which are just commonplace today. Uh, but he lectured us. In fact, let me give you the message, the gospel he preached to me uh, as a young man at university. He said, here it is, the world is running out of resources. We in the first world take way more than the, our fair share. The environment won't sustain the whole world living like us. We're heading for a global environmental catastrophe. And what's the answer? We need to drastically lower our standard of living. We need to give up on individualism. We, live, we need to live more communally. 
We need to use the Earth's resources far more sustainably. Now, on many levels, that was incredibly helpful. There were some really good insights into that. And he lived it out, as far as we could tell. He practised what he preached. Even, he, he even invited us to his home on the Georges River. That was part of the subject. We saw how he lived. Um, and he even called us for a response. Uh, we got in our tutorial groups and the, the tutor said to us, so what do you think? Are you in on this? Do you think people will change to live like this before the global catastrophe happens? And I remember saying, yes, but no. Yes, but no. I remember thinking, you're definitely onto something, but I think God says something bigger and God says something better. Uh, God's, God's solution that we'll look at this morning is far better, far better explanation of the environmental damage that faces us today and a far better solution. But um, you'll need to work that out for yourself. Um, If you're not a follower of Jesus, glad you're here, Uh, great to explore the Bible with you. Come with me on the journey. Here's how we're going to tackle it. We're going to do something big this morning, Um, so stick with me, I know it's warm. Um, We're going to do, in some respects, what we always do at Salt. What does the Bible say about this? What does God say about this? Um, That's the perspective we're looking at. We believe God's Word is good, it is helpful, it has the answers to all of life's problems. Uh, But we're doing it in a topical sense, in the sense that we're going to look at parts of the Bible that are relevant to the environment. But then we're going to do something even bigger than that. What does the whole Bible say about this topic? What does the whole message of the Bible say to us about caring for the environment? In other words, let me paint it out for you. Um, Here's the structure. Uh, What do these big moments in God's message, in God's salvation history, have to say to us about the environment? God creating the world, mankind rebelling against God, uh, a judgment that is, that is upon us. Uh, what difference does Jesus' death and resurrection make to caring for the environment? What difference does heaven and hell and a judgment day make to caring for the environment? And as we think about these things, we're going to need to think about where we sit in this plan of salvation. And where do we sit? We sit between the resurrection of Jesus and the life to come when Jesus will return. That's where we sit And hopefully by the end of the talk, we'll we'll work out what are we to do as we sit in this part of history, uh, looking back to the cross, looking forward to Jesus' return. Uh, And I want to point out some alternative views along the way. So here we go. Start at the start of your Bible, page one of the Bible. Look at Genesis chapter one. Um, Three things to say about Genesis and the first three chapters of the Bible. So turn to Genesis chapter one. Uh, The first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A very simple first point for you. Uh, There is a creator and there is the creation. There is God and there is the world. They are not the same thing. They are two separate things. God is a person. The creation is a thing. Um, The creation is meant to reflect God's glory. God made the creation, but the creation is not God. 
Uh, We're meant to look at the creation and worship and thank God. We're not meant to look at the creation and worship and thank the creation. Now, it's a really important point as we... It's kind of simple and you take it for granted if you've been a Christian for a while. But what it's saying is the creation is not divine. Uh, Some people think of the creation as highly elevated, uh, as divine. It's called pantheism. Um, Sometimes people refer to to the creation, you might have noticed, uh, Mother Nature. Mother Nature has done this. Mother Nature is cruel. Mother Nature is kind. Um, And if you believe that the creation is divine, then I reckon you'll say that it's almost untouchable. Uh, You must preserve it at all costs. Even you as a human must take a step back and let it live. It is divine. It is to be worshipped. It is God God himself. That's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying there is a God. He is the creator. He made the creation. They're two separate things. Now, the other thing from this first verse and 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 the idea that there is a God, he is the ruler, and there is a creation, is a pushback on materialism and atheism that says there is no God. Uh, There is only material things to be enjoyed, to be worshipped. All that we have in our world, all that we see is all that there is. There is no life to come. There is no God. That will have a very different answer to environmental problems, won't it? Because if you believe in materialism, if you're an atheist, if you say there's no God... I reckon there's two, two directions you could go. You could easily go into the, into the way of abusing the environment. Why not just use it all up? Uh, as a friend of mine who I went to university with, what does it matter? He was, an, he was an atheist. What does it matter if we're the last generation to use all the resources? Why do we need... He's kind of, who are we answerable to? Can't we just do what we think is right? But also, if you're a materialist and you love the material world and that's all you're living for and that material world is, is, is a good world, isn't it? You might be the opposite. You might be really interested in environmental concerns, in protecting the environment, because that's protecting your lifestyle. In fact, it's protecting the lifestyle that you want now but also the lifestyle you want for your kids and your grandkids. So... You're a materialist, you're an atheist, but you are highly motivated to care for the environment. Second point here in Genesis is, as Genesis 1 goes on, as we we heard the Bible reading, the creation is good. The creation is good. Everything God has made is good. There's there's lots of repeated phrases in Genesis chapter 1. Let me give you some of them. Uh, God said, let there be, and there was... And God saw that it was good. As each part of the creation, uh, he speaks into being, then it becomes reality and he says it was good. Uh, Now we'll see in a second, we've abused the creation, we've misused God's good creation, but that's a problem with us. Don't forget the creation itself is good in of itself. And so just a reminder, the Apostle Paul says to us, Don't believe the lie that there is any part of the creation that is evil. Uh, It is all good. It is all to be given. uh, It's all for us to be enjoyed. Uh, Listen to what Paul says. Everything God created is good. 
Uh, should be there on the screen. Next one. No? Lost it. There it is. Everything God created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. That's really important too, isn't it? Because there's another view out there. It's called dualism. And it says there's kind of two realms, the spiritual realm, where, where you've got angels and souls and eternity in God, and you've got the material world, things, bodies, things that you can touch and feel. And it says the spiritual world is the real world, the good world. The material world is, is the evil world, is, is the world that's to be avoided. Uh, the world that doesn't really matter. Uh, but the Bible says, no, 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 uh, it is all spiritual, it is all good, uh, you're not to lock yourself off in a monastery and not care about the world, uh, as you might do if you're a dualist. Or you might think it doesn't matter if you abuse the environment. No, it does matter, because this is God's good wor- world. It's actually the world where relationships play out, a world where our spiritual lives will take uh, effect. Here is a world that matters, that is good, purposeful, made by God. And notice uh, in Genesis there's something that is very good. It was in our reading. It's the creation of human beings. Uh, So all of the creation is good, but here's a part of the world that is very good. Here is something, someone that has a very special place in God's creation. It's the creation of humanity, male and female, made in the image of God. They have a unique role in the world, and you notice what it is? It's to rule it, uh, to rule over the world. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, for some people, they say, well, isn't that the problem? God said, rule over it, subdue it, dominate it. Is that what it means? And look what happened. We destroyed it. Uh, does Does this verse give us permission to be environmentally irresponsible, to exploit the environment. Uh, Here's a cartoon that picks up this picture. Um, God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. Actually, on second thoughts, look what's happened. But that's not what God's saying here in in Genesis chapter 1. If you read Genesis chapter 1 in context... Sounds harsh, doesn't it? Words like rule and dominion. We're actually got some. Our thinking is coloured in the negative on those words because of the because of Genesis three. But here is a world that's been made good by God even before mankind arrived. Here is a world that is good because God says it's good and pleasing to God. That's its purpose. It's good not just for you and us but good for God. Uh, There's there's another description of how we are to rule in Genesis chapter 2. I look at verse 15, it talks about us serving the good of the world. Genesis 2, 15. And so keep it, take care of it. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Look after the goodness of it. That's pleasing to God. That's why God has made it. 
Uh, It's there for us to enjoy and benefit from. But remember, it's God's good world. And here's another thing that's helpful from Genesis. We're to understand the order that God's put in the creation. There's another repeated phrase uh, in Genesis. And it's the phrase, according to its kind. God made everything according to its kind. In In other words, God made everything for a purpose, for a good order, for some good purpose and order. Uh, respect that. Uh, wisdom tells you, use it in that way, that certain purpose. Uh, wisdom says, learn that way, use the creation for the good that God intended it. Uh, it's in the book of Proverbs. Uh, here's a few Proverbs for you. The one who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. That's what a fig tree is for, to eat fruit. Look after it, care for it, it'll produce fruit for you. That'll be good, that's what it's for. It'll be good for you and it'll be good towards God. Or Proverbs 12.10 pushes a little bit further. The righteous care for the needs of their animals, but the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. What does it mean to be righteous, to live in right relationship with God in regard to the creation? Care for the animal that produces for you, that works for you. That's kind of like the idea... uh, what a, chickens are good, aren't they? They're, they're good for eggs, but as you use the chicken to produce eggs, care for the chicken. That's part of God's good order and world. Kind of says something to us, doesn't it, about the food that we buy. Um, as we think about the food that we consume, does it mean that I've contributed to a market that treats animals cruelly? Uh, Am I contributing to a market that cuts corners in God's good creation as I buy this product? Uh, Will this product arrive in landfill or will this product pollute our oceans? Are kind of Christian questions uh, for us to consider. And then there's the issue of sustainability. Uh, take, Take a tree, for example, made for a good purpose... Uh, made for lots of good purposes, isn't it? Uh, made for us to enjoy its shade, to, it produces oxygen, it, what does it do? It feeds and houses birds, it's, it's good for paper, uh, it's good for timber to build, build shelter. So use that resource for the good that's intended, all of those things. But wisdom says do it sustainably. If you cut down all of the trees... It's quite obvious, isn't it? Eventually, there'll be none to produce any houses at all or none to produce oxygen or none left to enjoy as a forest or none left for the birds. And so I reckon as we think about using the earth's resources in God's good world, it's right to stop and ask the question, is this the best use of this precious resource that God has given us? It's not there for us to abuse. It's a gift to be used according to its kind. It's good. And that can be tricky, can't it? And that can mean different answers for different ones of us. There are kind of lots of different ideas floating around on this, and we might disagree with each other, but quite simply, there aren't endless resources. Uh, And you have the opportunity, and I have the opportunity, to use this resource to buy this thing it's right to ask, can I do without this thing? 
can I recycle this? Uh, do I actually need to buy anything at all? Or can I use recycled materials? How long will this thing last? Uh, how long will it until it lands in landfill? Uh, it it kind of questions it. It questions our consumerism, doesn't it? That just because I can afford to buy a new mobile or a new car, does that mean that I should? Um, do I need a new car? Can I walk? Can I ride my bike? There's all there's there's a, there's a thousand different solutions, isn't there? Uh, and it's complicated. But living in God's world means living sustainably. Now, as we come to Genesis chapter 3, why have things gone wrong? Uh, Genesis chapter 1, a beautiful ecosystem, including humans, working beautifully, until you come to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve say, I want to rule the world without you, God. That's effectively what's happening. What happens, the relationship between God God and mankind has been affected. The relationship between man and woman is affected. Now there's... There's a ma- this is majorly going to affect the way they rule the world and care for the world and look after the world. And now forevermore, they will see themselves as the centre of the universe. Now the world is about them. Now they'll use God's good world for their own glory with disastrous consequences. Have a look in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Because there's something else going on here. Even the relationship with the creation is cursed. So it's a human, it's a God-human thing. It's between two humans. Uh, But it's also human to creation. Cursed is the ground because of you, verse 17. Um, Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. And so the... What do you see there? The environmental issues we're facing today, why are they the case? Well, one reason is the creation is corrupted. It is cursed. It is now fallen. It's not what it used to be. It is broken. There's, there's a big element of that. But there's another element in that we've turned our backs on God and we now want to rule the world our own way without him. That's going to have a massive impact on how we treat the world. I don't know whether you um, remember this, back in 2010, the biggest oil spill ever in the history of the world was the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Happened in April of 2010, Uh, BP's uh, oil rig spilled 800 million litres of oil. That is a massive amount of oil, isn't it? 800 million litres. It took them six months to stop the flow of oil... After a year, they realised, no, we haven't quite stopped it yet. After 10 years, some scientists said, we've still got an oil film on parts of marshlands in the Gulf of Mexico. An absolutely um, horrific uh, environmental incident. But let me tell you about the second largest oil spill. It was the Exxon oil tanker spill. Uh, It ran aground on on a reef near Alaska. Uh, Only... uh, 40 million litres this time of oil that's built. Um, 750 kilometres of coastline were, were affected. So it's, it's approximately from here to Byron Bay had oil on the coast 
Um, 250,000 seabirds uh, and billions of fish dropped dead. Massive, massive environmental disaster. And why did that happen? What, what was all that about? Uh, there's several things they realised happened. Uh, firstly, the shipping company didn't have all their safety standards in place, uh, including care of their workers, getting the rest that they needed. Um, it was partly because the, they realised the government had relaxed the rules and partly because the company wanted to maximise their profits. And then they investigated the captain of the ship and realised uh, he wasn't doing his duty of navigational watch and he had a history of being drunk at the wheel. You see, it's not just that the creation itself is cursed and there's a problem with the creation. There's a problem with us and the way we treat the creation. Our attitudes, our, our greed, our irresponsibility, a whole kind of web of culture and economics that feeds into environmental damage. But it's... it's even more complicated than that, isn't it? Because before we blame the corporate giant or the government or someone getting drunk, it's kind of easy to say it's someone else's problem. Do you realise we actually contribute to this problem as well? Twelve months ago, I, um, I put solar panels on my house. So we live in a house that was built in 1959 uh, and hasn't changed too much since the 1960s. Um, and we have the latest technology of solar panels on our roof. Um, and I thought, into my, I thought this week, why did I put solar panels on our house? Uh, why, did I do, why did I make that investment? What motivated me? Uh, on one level, it was the engineer in me. It kind of just makes sense. I've always thought we've got so much solar energy in Australia. Why not capitalise on it? It just doesn't make sense not to. Um, I grew up in a family where my dad had that kind of engineering brain. He made his own solar-powered uh, hot water system uh, just for something to do, to show that you could do it. Um, you know, study these things at, at uni and whatnot. But in the end, I looked at our electricity bill and saw that it was massive. <laughs> We're a family of five, uh, and it was a challenge to me. Am I motivated more by the money I'm going to save? I've still got to pay back the solar panels. Am I motivated more by the money I'm going to save? And it questions me, what am I going to do with that money? Or am I motivated more by the environment? It's, it's a real challenge. And the problem, uh, Greta Thunberg says, is huge. But listen to what she says. She says, the main solution, however, is so simple that even a small child can understand it. We have to stop our emissions of greenhouse gases. Well, I want to disagree with that. I don't think it is simple. On one level, it is simple because you just need to stop emitting so many greenhouse gases. But why is it that we have so much trouble doing that? Um, it's kind of like world poverty, isn't it? World poverty, the problem is not that there isn't enough food. There's, it's much more complicated than that. There is enough food. There's actually something wrong with the human heart, isn't it? There's a far deeper problem, a much more serious problem with our world. It has to do with us as human beings, out of relationship with God. And so that makes you realise that changing laws, petitioning governments, 
making change to our lifestyles, getting the solar panels, recycling more, driving less, using the metal straw and the metal uh, lunchbox and the reusable coffee cup. They're good things. They should make a difference. If they don't make a difference, don't do it. But they're actually band-aids to a much more serious problem. They won't save the planet. We've actually got a terminal disease, a, a much more serious problem. It's our rebellion against God. That's what needs to be fixed. And you see it in the person of Jesus, don't you? When Jesus turns up as the solution to everything, what does Jesus say is the greatest moral challenge of all time? I'm sure he mourned the degradation of the planet that he made. But he mourned more for the people who were out of relationship with God. He warned, he mourned, he was in deep sorrow over people going to hell. What was Jesus all about? Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Flick over to Hebrews chapter 2, the, the second Bible verse that was read out for us by, by Amy. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, and you'll see, here is the man, Jesus, who is the true ruler of the world, and he rules for our good. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. And Hebrews is a bit tr- tricky to find right at the back of your Bible. Um, look at verse 6. What is m- mankind that you're mindful of him, a son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honour. You put everything under his feet. That's, that's, what, that's Psalm 8. There's the position of mankind, humanity, male and female. You should be ruling the world. I've put everything under your feet. There it is for you to rule over in a God-honouring way. But look down. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is subject to them, that is not subject to them. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. In other words, we don't see humanity ruling the world the way they're meant to be ruling the world. We actually see humanity rebelling against God and wrecking the world. We actually see humanity being greedy and getting drunk and being irresponsible. Who is the man who is the man of Psalm 8 who will rule the world properly and orderly? Look at verse 9. But we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So who is the saviour? It's not me or you who rules the world properly. We've actually forfeited that right. We're now under the, under the sentence of death, under the curse. No human being is qualified, but Jesus is qualified. Jesus is the one who always lives under God's rule, always rules perfectly. And notice... He suffers death so that he might, by the grace of God, taste death for everyone. He does something for us to restore us. Dying on the cross, rising again, he fixes our greatest problem. We need our sins forgiven. We need our sin dealt with that leads to death. Uh, We need our hearts changed. We need forgiveness and new life. And so as we think about this massive topic of of the environment... Here's the starting place. You've got to get Jesus right. You've got to understand he is the perfect ruler. 
He is the one that will put us back in relationship with God so that we might actually care and rule the world in a way that pleases God and that works for his good. You've got to start there. And so I've got to ask you, have you trusted Jesus? Have you looked to him as the Lord, the the king, the ruler? And I want to show you Colossians chapter 1 because there's there's massive implications uh, for us and the whole planet as Jesus dies for us. So Colossians chapter 1, turn there. And verse 18, Colossians 1, verse 18. This is speaking about Jesus. He is the head of the body, that's the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. That's his lordship. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, listen to this, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You kind of expect the writer of Colossians to say he reconciled us to himself, which he did, if you trust Jesus. Uh, He saves human beings, but he reconciles all things. There's, There's... There's something that's happened with the church, God's new people, new rulers of the world, but then there's something that's happened with all of creation. All of creation will be put right, reconciled towards God, in its right place before God, because of Jesus' death. So that's that's great news for the creation, isn't it? The creation is reeling with the effects of the curse in Genesis chapter 3, but it will be fully restored. It is now groaning. It's not what it should be, but it will be fully restored in all its beauty and all its order, giving glory to God. And so, what does the the last book of the Bible talk about? Revelation chapter 2, as it speaks about the new world that's coming, the new heavens, the new earth. It speaks about a real physical creation. A place where there'll be no more mourning, crying or pain, where everything will be put right, where the new creation is not entirely different from this creation, it's more a completion of it or the perfection of this creation. Uh, I don't know whether you remember that 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul talks about our bodies being resurrected. Our bodies will die, it's like a seed in the ground and then in the resurrection we'll have new physical bodies but spiritual bodies that are new and completely different transformed you won't believe how great they are it's a little bit like that with the whole of creation this creation in all its glory will die but then it will be transformed and renewed and there'll be a new creation in all its glory and goodness well what do we do as we finish up this morning what do we do as we wait for that day i said that we live in the time between jesus death and resurrection That has happened. He is the Lord. He set a day to judge the world. What do we do now between that day? Well, can I encourage you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, this morning I reckon is a challenge to you. Uh, What do you make of God's good world? As you look at the beauty, the order of this creation, how did that come to be? Uh, Is that an accident or is there a creator? Why have things gone wrong? Uh, What's... What's going on in the, in the hearts and minds of men and women that we've got ourselves in this situation? Uh, let me encourage you to keep exploring that. Uh, Amy mentioned the life course that's coming up on February 9th. Uh, 
thinking to Jesus, thinking to what does he say, how is he the solution, all that we've talked about this morning in more detail. Come and get your questions answered there. But if you are a follower of Jesus, let me say two things this morning. First thing I want to say, uh, what do we do as we wait for the return of the Lord Jesus? I want to say, let's wait for the new creation to come. Uh, The first point is not something to do in, in that sense. It's not environmental action, but it's to wait, to trust Jesus, to know that he has it in hand, to mourn the loss uh, that's happened in our creation, to grieve, to wait in hope for the new creation to come. I think that's what we're to do as followers of Jesus. And to realise you're not the saviour of the world. You will not save the planet. That is not your mission. That is the mission of Jesus. Only Jesus can do it. And Jesus has proven he's, he's died, he's risen again, and it will happen. That's not your role. But get ready for that new creation. Wait for it. Help others get ready for it. But the second thing I want to say is something that is really practical and something we can be doing, and that is start living for the new creation now. Uh, Flick with me to chapter 3 of Colossians. So one chapter over, or two chapters over from Colossians 1. Here's what we're to do. We're, We're to become new people, think new thoughts, have new attitudes uh, now that we're Christian. Chapter chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then go down to verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature... Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. And look down at verse 10. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. So as you look to that new heavens and and the new earth, as you realise that you are a new person made in the image of God to rule the world under him, start doing that now. Start living in a way that pleases God now in relation to the creation. Work out what you can do to enact that out. Um, If you put to death things like greed, uh, evil desires, idolatry, you will make a difference to the environment. Uh, If you put on the new self and realise it's not all about me, I live in community, I live in a global community, I now want to love people that I don't even know on the other side of the world that are affected by the choices that I make uh, here in my own country. Work out what it would look like for you to live as someone ruling your little patch of the world in a way that pleases God and loves the citizens of the world. Because isn't it true that all the environmental damage that happens always affects the poor and the vulnerable more than it affects us who are majority wealthy in the world. If climate change is real, if climate change will affect sea levels, what does the average Aussie say? The average Aussie says, that's going to affect property prices. That's going to affect my waterfront holiday house. 
Um, I live in West Wollongong on a, on a hill. I think I'm okay. But for the poor, for those in the Pacific Islands, for those who live in shanty towns who effectively live on wharves, it will really affect them and their livelihood. And so love your neighbour by caring for the environment and doing all we can. And actually puts environmental action in a different frame, doesn't it? It's not to save the planet. Uh, your efforts won't do that. The problem is far more complicated. It is far deeper. It required Jesus to come and die and rise again to fix it ultimately. It's not about saving the planet. And it's not about worshipping the creation. It's about doing it for Jesus, our ruler and ruling in a way that pleases him, ruling in a way that benefits other people, ruling in a way that means others can enjoy God's creation as well. And I reckon it's also done knowing that there is a global catastrophe coming that is far worse uh, than climate change, as important as that is, that people will actually face God one day on the judgment day. That is the great catastrophe that's coming. So learn to live in light of that. Learn to love and help people prepare for that day. I'm going to pray. Our great Heavenly Father, we've, we've covered so much ground this morning. Um, we thank you for your good creation. We thank you that you are a loving ruler of our world. Father, we confess that we are responsible for rebelling against you, uh, for mistreating your lordship, but also mistreating your world. Father, thank you so much that in your love and kindness you've stepped into the world, that you have brought about a solution far bigger than we could imagine, a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, you've made us again rulers in your world that are pleasing to you. Uh, Father, we look forward to that day when things are perfected, when things are orderly, they're beautiful in, in every regard. But Lord, help us to prepare for that day now. Help us to be responsible rulers of your world, living rightly under you and responsible to you, loving our brothers and sisters and our global community. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.